Well, thank you, guys. Um, man, I always love to worship. I told, uh, we were actually talking about relaunching me and, me and uh, Pastor Don and Pastor, and, uh, Pastor JP. We were, we were talking about it, and, and I believe with Pastor Kemp there, too, and we just all said, man, it'd be great if we could get at least a little bit of worship going. You know, just at least a little bit of worship going before we do the word. I don't know if uh, if you've ever spoken in front of in front of folks and tried to share the word. I can tell you that it's it's always easier after some worship. It it just paves the way. So I thank the I thank the Lord for worship tonight. I thank the Lord for for what He's doing in this place and for for you guys being here tonight and uh, to to come out on a Wednesday night, even you know in the rain and everything like that. I know that it was probably tempting to stay home, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, I hope I'll, I'm going to deliver a good message to you tonight. What I want to talk to you about tonight is I want to talk to you about being compelled by love, specifically being compelled by the love of Christ. And I want to talk to you about the difference between being compelled by love and being compelled by fear. And uh, so to get into those things, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, and then he talks about some things that compels him to do. But I just want to talk about the word compel before we, go, before we really get into anything else because it's not a word that we typically use a lot, right? We don't, I don't think that we pretty much use that word. You don't hear it at Walmart too much. Uh, if somebody's saying, well, I was compelled to do this, I was compelled to do that. So I just want to look at the definition of the word and just kind of give some examples of it and talk about it a little bit. So uh, the word compel is defined as to do, to drive or urge with force or irresistibility, to constrain, to oblige, to necessitate, necessitate I can't even say it, <laughs> either by physical or moral force. And, uh, and in that definition, it kind of almost sounds like being forced to do something. But what, what I found as I researched it a little more and tried to tried to really dig into the definition of what it actually meant, and especially in the context that Paul was using it here, I found, I found a source that defined the act of being compelled to do something as the driving force behind you doing it. All right, so, so to be compelled to do something, that means that's what, it's not actually what you're doing, but it's what, it's the reason behind what you're doing. It is the driving force behind what you do. That is what is compelling you, okay? And so I, I really think that probably most things that we do, I don't know if maybe if you've, you hadn't had time to think about it, I just laid it on you, right? But I've had a little bit of time to think about it. And, and I really think that, you know, I, as I look at myself, I'm, I don't think that there's very much I do that I'm not compelled by something to do, right? I mean, even, even simple things like I can say that, you know, I'm compelled to brush my teeth and take care of my dental hygiene because I don't like that drill at the dentist office. Amen? And because I don't like having bad breath and some other things, but there's a reason that I do it, right? And there's a reason that, you know, even if I'm laying in bed and half asleep and realize I hadn't brushed my teeth, but I get up and I go and brush my teeth and take care of my teeth because I don't want that drill, right? I'm compelled to do it to take care of my teeth because I want to I keep them and I don't like the drill at the dentist office. I'm sorry if anybody in here works at the dentist office. You've ever, if you've been on the other end of that drill, maybe it's better on the other end. It's not, it's not any good on this end. I can tell you that. Uh, but I also, and that's kind of a funny example. Uh, and we'll look at, we'll look at a few other examples. You know, uh, you can, you can look at a soldier, and you can say a soldier is compelled by a sense of duty and honor, and follows orders 
and holds the line in spite of insurmountable odds and the fear that is rising in his belly. Think about that. Why would someone stay and hold the line? Why would someone stay and risk their life? It's because they're being compelled by a purpose greater than themselves, right? They're being compelled by a sense of duty, a sense of honor, and maybe even a sense of family, maybe even a sense of I'm doing this for my family, I'm doing this, whoever it is that they're doing it for, I can be guaranteed that in that moment when your life is on the line that, that those people that you're doing it for come to your mind and it inspires you to stay and fight. You could say, and this is an example that's kind of on the negative side, but a person that is compelled, or once again, when we say compelled, remember that we're talking about the driving force behind what we do. So a person that is compelled by depression and fear may refuse to get out of bed, refuse to even try to, to get a better life because their past failures have paralyzed them, right? So we can be compelled by a positive force and we can be compelled by a negative force. But, but when we're compelled by something, what that is saying is that's the, that's the driving force behind what we do. Even something as simple as eating food. Why do we eat food? Why do we crave food, right? Well, because we're compelled by hunger, right? We get hungry and then we want something to eat. Is anybody with me? Amen. Right. I mean, I know it's I know it's I know we probably had dinner before we came. There's a couple people in here probably didn't eat before they came. So so you're really with me. But I want to talk about now that we've talked about compelled a little bit. I want to return back to Second Corinthians five and begin in 14 and just glean a little bit from the word of what Paul talks about. The love of Christ compels him to do or being driven by Christ being driven by the love of Christ, being motivated by the love of Christ, right? When the love of Christ is the driving force behind what you do, you know, what does that look like? And in this context, beginning in verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all have died. And he died for all, that those who live should, should not from now on live for themselves, but for he who died for them and rose again. So from now on, we do not regard anyone according to the flesh. Yes, though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we don't regard him as such any longer. Therefore, if any person's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Okay, And so we see here, he says, the love of Christ compels us, and it compels us to look at things differently. Right? It compels us to think this way. It changes our attitude to think this way, that, that we judge this way, that, that if, if Christ died for all of us, then we should all die to ourselves. And we should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for the one who died for us. Right? And, and it doesn't stop there, though. He goes on to say that that same love of Christ compels us that we don't judge anyone anymore according to the flesh. In other words, we've come to the point with the Lord and he's, the love of Christ has changed us so much that we're able to look at a person's ugliness, look at, look at them in their sin, and not see the sin, but see past the sin. Right? And not judge them according to their flesh, according to what's going on with them in that moment, but still see that they're a valued child of God and still cause us to want to minister to them. If you look at the life and the ministry of Paul, you know, he even ministered to people that were trying to kill him. Right? He, he, the prison guard that threw him in prison, he led him to the Lord. Right? Most people, when the prison doors flew open, they had to just run right out of the prison. He stayed to make sure that the man was safe and then led him to the Lord. <laughs> Who does that? Right? Not a person that's being compelled by selfishness. 
Not a person that's being compelled even by self-preservation, right? But a person that's being compelled by the love of Christ, that the motivating factor, the reason behind what they do is the love of Christ, right? The driving force behind what we do should be the love of Christ. And Paul here being an example that, you know, if the love of Christ is driving us, then we should, we should have these type of experiences, right? That we should, we should have, as Pastor JP has been talking about, the fruits of the Spirit, right? We should have those fruits of the Spirit relevant and operating in our lives, right? And, and I would say this, that before you can be compelled by the love of Christ, you have to experience the love of Christ, right? You really do. You have to experience the love of Christ. And I could say this, that probably, for the most part, the level of experience you've had with the love of Christ is going to determine how, how committed you are to allowing that to be the driving force in your life, right? That if you've really had a deep experience with the love of God, that it, it becomes a, a driving force in your life. Now, maybe you, you, could, you can come to church for a long time and not necessarily have a deep experience with the love of God, right? You can come to church and, and try and figure it out with your mind and, and you know, and, and things like that. And, and I can tell you this, that knowledge about God or knowledge about the love of God, right, that, that is not enough to drive you. Okay, that is not enough to drive you. We need to experience the love of God, which is the reason it's so important that we do things like worship like we did a little while ago, that it's so important that you get alone with God and you talk to God and, and you cry out to God in your times of need because God wants to help you. Y'all know that? That God longs to help you. You know, if you think about the story of the prodigal son, the father was sitting on the porch waiting for the son and said he's seen him a far way off. God knows what you're going through and maybe I'm talking to somebody tonight. God knows what you're going through. He's waiting for you to come take a step toward Him. And if you take a step toward Him, He'll come and engulf you in His love. And I'm telling you, if you've experienced the love of God, I, I was listening to somebody and they were sharing a testimony before, uh, earlier, early this morning. I was listening, I was watching a video. I was actually watching the Alpha videos with the guys at the house there at Big Fish. And the guy was sharing his testimony about being born again. And he said, he said, he said I cried out to the Lord Jesus for the first time. I repented of my sins. And then he said, I started weeping. And he said, as I was weeping, at first I was weeping in repentance, but he, said, but he says, then I began to weep with joy. He said, I didn't even know before that moment that you could weep with joy. But I began to weep with joy. And what, what the man said is he had an experience with the Holy Spirit. He had an experience with the Lord Jesus and that his life was never the same after that experience. So I just want to encourage you tonight you know, to seek after the Lord. Seek after Him with all your heart. If you haven't had that experience, seek after Him. He will, he will grace you with His presence. The Bible says we seek Him and we find Him when we seek Him with all of our heart. And I would just encourage you, you know, find some time, maybe first thing in the morning before everything else gets on, gets on your plate for the day. Find some time where you can clear your mind and solely focus on Him. Because when He says when we seek Him with all our heart, that's what He means. That He is our sole focus. The one thing. That's the reason worship so powerful. And many of us, we feel the Spirit of the Lord moving on us during worship because so much of our lives we stay so busy, right? But during that time of worship, even as we sing along with the songs, everything else kind of fades away. 
and God becomes exalted in our life. And as we lift him up and exalt him, he fills us with his presence, right? Because that's what he's been looking for the whole time because he wants to have a relationship with. Just like some of you may have a, a child or a loved one that you haven't talked to in a long time. And if they came over to visit you, you would definitely enjoy their presence, right? Well, God, God loves us. And he wants to spend time with us. And it, when we cry out to him, he wants to come and fill our lives with his presence. He wants to be a part of it, right? And so I just encourage you tonight that, you know, for us to be uh, compelled by the love of Christ, for the love of Christ to lead our lives, and for us to have the benefits of the love of Christ leading our lives, you know, we've got to seek after the face of God, right? We've got to seek after his face. We've got to seek after, after him himself and as we do that, we will experience Him. And as we experience Him, I will tell you this, an experience is worth a hundred memorized lines out of a book, right? Even, even the Bible. Now, I, I encourage you to memorize Scripture, don't get me wrong. But if, if you memorize Scripture and you can memorize it all and you don't meet the one that wrote it, then all you're doing is memorizing words that, that at the end don't have the meaning to you that they should, right? Because you don't know the one that wrote it, right? I, I've met many people like that along my, going through um, and, and working in recovery programs and, and being in recovery myself at different times. There's a lot of Christian programs out there and, so, and some, some of them, you know, you have to memorize scripture as you go to phase up and do things like that. And I've, I've met guys, man, that know, they could quote more scripture than me, but they hadn't experienced the maker. They hadn't experienced the love of God because they knew all about it, but they hadn't experienced it. And so I just encourage you tonight to seek after the Lord and, and he, will, he will bless you with that experience. The Bible says that us being evil, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more would God give the Holy Spirit to us when we ask? And that's what that is, the, the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he manifests his love to us through his presence. So so as, uh, ju just as people can be inspired by dreams, we should be inspired as Christians by the love of Christ, right? We, we may, you may know someone uh, that's, that's inspired, maybe a, maybe a young person that wants to be a professional athlete and they're inspired by that dream or they're compelled by that dream and they work out and they run and they do all this different stuff to try to, to, uh, to attain that goal. Now, they are not a professional athlete but they're inspired or compelled to be one. I would say this, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, okay, don't use the fact that you still have shortcomings as an excuse to not believe that you're a brand new Christian, that you're a brand new creation in Christ, okay? Because the scripture says that you are. The scripture says you are. God says you are. So get up every day and you may not be, be you may not see yet, you may not see the manifestation of the new creation that you want to be. You may not see the manifestation of the Word of God yet in your life. But if you get up every day and you believe what He says and you act in accordance with it, right? You act out that faith. You believe it and you go to walk it out. And whenever you have, I will say this also, whenever you have thoughts that are contrary to what God says about you, somebody needs to hear this tonight, you take those thoughts captive and you cast them down because they're lies. If it's not, if, if God says you're good and your mind says you're bad, your mind is lying to you, okay? If God says that you're worthy and your mind says you're unworthy and you'll never be anything, then it's a lie. you got to make a decision. Is God telling the truth 
Or is, is the other people in your life or even your own self telling the truth? I, I, for one, came to a conclusion in my life that I was not going to ever call God a liar. And when, when I say that, like, I, I never thought about it like that before until God kind of, God has a way of, of really speaking to you when you seek Him. And, and, I, and I had all these negative thoughts about myself. I had all these negative thoughts about my future. And I would, I would think them, and sometimes I would believe them. And God basically told me, look, you can, you're either going to believe what you think, or you're going to believe me, but I'm telling the truth. So if you believe the other thing, what you're, what you're in essence saying is that, you, that I'm lying. I'm like, okay. This just went to a whole new level. <laughs> All right, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I can see myself saying, God, you just, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't tell me the truth there. No, I couldn't see myself doing that, right? I couldn't see myself doing that. And so it really helped me to step up, to step up some. And I'm, I'm rambling a little bit and getting a little bit off my notes here. But maybe somebody needs to hear this tonight. That You know what? We just have to continue to believe that we are who God says we are. And I'm going to tell you something. I've, what will happen if you do that? If you, if you spend your time seeking the Lord, believing that you are who He says you are, and believing the promises of God, what's going to happen is one day you're going to wake up and look back and be like, whoa, I'm not who I used to be anymore. I've been made new. I've been made new. Just like the, butter, just like the caterpillar that goes in the cocoon. Goes in the cocoon one way, this little grub that just crawls around on trees and comes out a beautiful caterpillar able to fly free, free from the constraints even of gravity. They can fly, right? You know, the, and, and we will, will have the exact same experience with the Lord if we will just continue to believe Him. So once we truly experience the love of Christ, His mercy, His forgiveness of our sins, then we should be compelled we should be compelled to do what? What should we be compelled to do? Well, we talked about a few things here, and I just, I just kind of brainstormed and came up with a list of a few more things that I'm just going to go through real quick. And then I really want to talk to you also at the end here about the difference between being compelled by love and being compelled by fear. Okay? So if we're compelled by love, one of the first things that we're inspired to do, that we're compelled to do, is to love. That's, I mean, the Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. When you experience the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, when you experience like the woman with the issue of blood, not the one, like the woman that was caught in adultery, not the woman with the issue of blood, the woman that was caught in adultery, and you experience the Lord Jesus, and, and, and you experience that you should be judged, that you're deserving of judgment, and yet Jesus speaks and says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all leave except for he who is without sin. And the one that was without sin that could cast the stone in righteousness chose mercy. You experience the love of God. You experience the mercy of God. Man, you want to love him. It inspires you to love Him back. And I can tell you this, you know what? The, that, this is how this thing should work with love, right? We receive the love of God. We love Him back. And through our love relationship with God, we learn how to love ourselves. And once we learn how to love ourselves, I'm going to tell you this, then you're going to be able to love somebody else the right way. Once you, once you have those first three things operating in your life, then you'll really be able to love somebody else the right way. I've had a lot of people come to me before and say, Pastor, I really love her, I really love him, but I keep doing this and I keep doing that. And, and, I, and I can tell you that I, I've been there before myself. 
right? I've really been there before where I called myself loving someone, and you may have somebody in your life right now that tells you they love you, but they still do things that hurt you, right? And a lot of times what's, it, what's happening with them is that they haven't experienced the love of God, or they haven't accepted His love, they haven't learned how to love Him back, or they haven't learned how to love themselves. Because if you get those things in line, if you get those things in line, you'll have a person that has the ability to have a good, meaningful relationship, right? But, but if you don't have those things going on, then you're still going to hurt people even though you love them. And when I say that, of course, we are, none of us are perfect. So we're, we're, you know, if you're going to be in relationship with people, you'll probably get hurt some. But the fact is that if we truly operate in this and we're compelled by the love of Christ and we allow the love of Christ to compel us to love Him and to love ourselves and to learn to see ourselves the right way, then we'll be able to love others the right way. The love of Christ compels us to forgive, to not hold grudges, to forgive others in the same way that the Lord forgave us, realizing that their sins are not greater than ours. And, and I would say this in my, my own self-talk to myself. I say things like this, right? I say things like, who do you think you are to hold something against them after all the things you've done and God has forgiven you? That's what I tell myself, right? And, and, and you know what? It, get, it, gets, it, it, it get, usually gets the job done. Usually I'm like, yep, I got to forgive them. I got to. You know, even though I don't want to right now, even though my emotions are still riled up right now, I need to forgive these people. Not because, uh, not because what they did is okay, but because who am I to think that, they, that I need to give them what they deserve when I didn't get what I deserved? Right? Amen? Amen. So we reach for mercy. We reach for forgiveness. We believe. We believe the word. The, the love of Christ and an experience with the love of Christ will compel us to believe the word. It'll compel us to even believe it when we don't understand it because we have a relationship with the one that wrote it. And we believe that he's trustworthy because we've seen that he's trustworthy. It compels us to have hope. To have hope that no matter what's going on right now, that he has a plan. And no matter where I am right now, his plans are good. And if I stay with him, then things are going to get better in my life. Now, no, I didn't say that you're going to hit the winning lottery ticket or that, you know, you're never going to have another problem. But the Lord Jesus, through His love, gives us the hope to say, you know what, even if I'm going through hardship, I can go through this because I'm not going through it by myself. Because I've got a loving God that's here with me, that's, that, and I, that, that assures me that should I, even should the worst happen and I should lose this life, that He's going to meet me right on the other side. That's the hope that we have in the Lord. And through the love of Christ, we can live a life that's compelled through that hope, right? We're compelled to seek forgiveness when we do wrong, to seek forgiveness from others, to seek forgiveness from the Lord, to walk in newness of life, to walk in who He's created us to be, to change our ways and to try with everything within us to be like Christ, to resist sin, to fight against it, and to keep on resisting and not give up even when it's hard, to be selfless, to believe, and I've mentioned this a minute ago, to believe what Christ says about me is true. To sacrificially give, even to lay down my own life, to surrender that I might find life. It compels me not to judge others by their appearance. It compels me to share the gospel with as many people as I can, to be a peacemaker, to seek to be a mentor, a teacher, a godly example, a hard worker, and someone that has integrity. 
And this is just a short list. I'm, and the thing about this short list is the love of Christ won't just compel you to do some of these things. He'll compel you to do all these things and more things because the love of Christ will compel you to be the very best you that you can ever be. Yes. Right? And I'll tell you this, you can read all the self-help books you want and you can know exactly how to be the best you you can be, but you don't, well, you'll never have the power to be able to see it through without the Holy Spirit working in your life, without the love of Christ being that driving force. Because I, I, how many times have we all made mistakes and when we, when we made the mistake, we said, I already knew better. I've made mistakes and I've been like, God, what do I do about this? And he says, do what you tell everybody else to do. I'm like, okay, God. God, he'll get you, won't he? He really will. But you know, what am I saying in that? I'm saying so many times we make mistakes and it's not because we don't know better. It's because in that moment, we allowed our weakness to come and we got to repent and we got to move on. But if we'll, if we'll lean in the Lord, then we can actually carry through the thing that we know to do the thing that we know to do to, be, to, to better ourselves. So when, I, when we've been talking about how the love of Christ compels us, and I want us to turn to, uh, to Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to go over to Romans chapter 8 real quick, which, by the way, is my favorite chapter in the Bible, um, just as a side note. If you read it every day, just that one chapter, I believe it will probably change your life forever. It worked for me at least. But uh, I'm going to start in verse 14. And it says this, it says, for, many, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery again to fear, but you have re received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that we may also be glorified together with him. Amen. And, and so... You see here, and, and, and right before here, it actually talks about uh, those who are led by the Spirit. And it, yeah, it says it right here. As, though, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And I would say this, to say that we're led by the Spirit of God and to say that we're compelled by the love of Christ, we're saying the same thing. Okay, we're saying the same thing. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God and the daughters of God. We're all included. So those who are compelled by the love of God are led by the Spirit. And, and it tells us here, it says, it says this, and I want you to pay attention. It says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery again to fear, but you have received a, beer, a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, which is an intimate term for Father. Okay? And, and what, what I want to point out here is that there is a huge difference between being compelled or led by fear and being compelled or led by love, okay? Now, sometimes we, sometimes we feel like, uh, and especially it seems like maybe when we're disciplining somebody else, uh, my, I'm thinking about like my kids or something like that, you want to put the fear of God in them, right? Okay, well, the fear of God is a real thing, okay? It is a real thing. He, he is a merciful God, but he is a just God also. Okay, and he has a he has some very specific rules in here. And if we if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we can be forgiven. If we choose not to, then other things can happen. He's just right. He offers the same freedom to everybody. Right. But the fear, fear will only keep us for a short period of time. That's what I found in my life. 
that fear can keep me straight for a short period of time. But fear doesn't keep me straight or keep me walking the right path, if you will, or keep me from sinning for a long, prolonged period of time because fear puts me in bondage, okay? And it, and it, or it makes me a slave, as it says here, that we haven't received a spirit to make us a slave to what? To fear, right? So, so fear makes us a slave. And here's the thing about it is if you're a slave to fear and the only reason that you're trying to do right is because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't, okay? That will only last for a short period of time because anyone that is in bondage, anyone that is in slavery, right, will at the first opening run. If they see freedom, they'll run. The problem is that usually when we've been led by fear for a while, the freedom that we see isn't a true freedom of God. It is the freedom of rebellion that's offered by the other guy, right? That he calls it freedom, right? Go do whatever you want to do. Get away from this, this, these church people. They're trying to control your life. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. Even God's trying to do this. He's trying to do that, right? It's the same age-old lie, right? That the rules aren't working for you. They're against you. That your authorities aren't for you, they're against you, right? Rebel, run. And then what do we find in that rebellion? We find what it really means to be in bondage in that rebellion. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have, right? You find what it really means to be in bondage. So fear, while fear can, you know, can help us maybe get along, maybe we can think about the consequences of our actions and it can maybe help us to make a good decision in a moment, it won't keep you for long, right? But what will keep you is when you change. Because here's the thing about it. When I'm, le when I'm constraining myself due to fear, what I'm really doing and what I'm really saying is I'm saying, I really want to do that thing that's wrong. I really want to do that thing that I'm trying not to do, but I'm afraid of what will happen if I do it, so I'm not going to do it, right? But when the love of Christ comes into your life and changes your nature then you don't desire the same things anymore. Now, when I say that, now, don't get me wrong, you'll be tempted. You'll be tempted, but there's something inside of you that is deeper. There's something inside of you that is stronger, that is, that, that is saying, hey, you know, it's not so much anymore that I want to do that and I can't do it because I'm afraid of the consequence. It changes to... Man, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, I don't want to. Now, I might slip up and still do it because we do all fall short of the glory of God, but it's not because I want to anymore. It's because I have a sin nature. And even Paul said that, that I found these two things, these two laws working in me. One, that I have completely dedicated myself to God and, 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 and with my mind, that's all I want to do is do what God wants me to do. But he says, I find another law working in me, right? A law, this, this law of my flesh, right? And my flesh just still wants to do the wrong thing no matter how many people I've led to the Lord, no matter, and no matter if I've evangelized the entire continent of Europe. Right? I still find this other thing in me, but I don't want to do it. That's the difference. It's not I want to do it. Right? And, and have you ever noticed that like in our society even, uh, I mean, for as long as I can remember, if something's really, really good, like if it's a really, really good chocolate bar, you'll, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, man, it's so good, it's sinful. Right? You ever heard anybody say that? 
You ever thought about that? Like it's like, it's like we're saying that sin is good. It's so good, it's sinful, right? And we don't even think about it, right? We don't even think about it. Sometimes we'll use it just because it's just in our, in our language, it's in our vocabulary, it's in our society. But sin does feel good, otherwise it wouldn't be tempting, right? You wouldn't be tempted to do something that didn't feel good, right? You wouldn't be tempted to do something. I mean, I wouldn't be tempted to eat cheesecake if it tasted bad, right? I would, I mean, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't not like eating certain other things, you know, that if they, if they actually tasted better, right? So it's tempting for a reason, right? It's tempting because it does give a short-term gratification, right? But here's the thing is, when we really are led by the love of Christ, it changes our desires, it changes what we want because it changes us. It changes us. You know, it, it, when, I, when I'm counseling with somebody and, uh, and, 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 I'm, and I'm trying to walk them into, into a new life, you know, maybe they're born again and I'm really trying to walk them into a new life and I'm counseling with them, what I, it, it, it always kind of is like, is like nails on a chalkboard whenever they say things like, well, this is just who I am. And they're talking about the negative old guy. Right? This is just who I am. And I'm like, don't say that. Say, this is who I've always been. But now I'm a new creation in Christ. Right? Don't, don't you know, you got to, you got to flip that around. And what, what the reason that that sounds good to your ears and the reason that that got an amen is because when I said that, the Spirit of God said, that's right. And, it, and, it, and something rose up and at least a half dozen people said, amen. That's right. Right? Because... When, when you hear the truth, when you hear the truth that is able to set you free, something comes alive inside of you and you want to follow that truth, right? But, you know, we've, we've got to dedicate ourselves to studying. We've got to dedicate ourselves to seeking after the Lord so that we can find that truth and we can allow Him to change us from the inside out. Because even, even the things right now that you're struggling with, Right. And that you think, man, I just I wish I didn't want to do this. Right. Well, there's one person that can change your desires. There's one person that can change, not not just constrain you and not just try to try to uh, try to put uh, put some kind of exterior, you know, a consequence system on you to help you to change. No, I'm talking about somebody that can change you from the inside out, that can make you new. Right? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He makes us new, then we begin to be compelled by Him. We're compelled to, to like, you know what? I just don't want to go back over there to that old group of friends that's always partying and always doing this and always doing that anymore. You know, it's really not that I don't love those guys or those girls. I mean, they've been my friends for a long time, but I just can't do it anymore. Right? It just doesn't feel right anymore. I can tell you that uh, the night I got born again, I was... Uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a heck of an experience, I can tell you that. Uh, I was a drug addict, and I was court-ordered to a program, which was the only reason that I was there. <laughs> and the, and the, uh, the, uh, the dorm was burnt down, so I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor in the chapel, maybe somewhere about right here if this was the chapel we were in. And I couldn't sleep that night. And so, and everybody had been talking about Jesus around me and how that's what I needed and all this other stuff. And I didn't know about all that at the time, but I did know that I was tired of not being able to sleep because I was coming off of a lot of things and I was used to having some, I was used to passing out instead of going to sleep. Let's just say that. 
And that night I cried out to the Lord and I said, Lord, just, would you just help me sleep tonight? And I'm going to tell you something. When I say the Lord's just looking for an opening, I, at the moment I said, Lord, he was there. And I'm telling you, it was like he came and sat on the foot of my bed and I began to weep like a baby. I'm talking about in a room full of men that were in a recovery program. Uh, I was trying really hard not to weep loud, but it started getting ugly. You know, the, when you weep and you're like, <laughs> and I'll tell you what happened when the Spirit of God showed up. When the Spirit of God showed up, I had an experience with him and I started repenting to God of all the things that if you would have asked me 30 minutes before, I would have told you I'd do whatever I want to do. And heck, yeah, I did that and I don't care. But now the Spirit of God was there and I was repenting and I was weeping like a baby, right? Because he was there. But it wasn't just that. I can tell you this. I woke up the next morning and I wish I was the guy that woke up the next morning and never, never thought about drugs again, never smoked another cigarette again and all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't me. All right, I had a harder road to, road to get it right than that. But I tell you this. I woke up the next morning and I walked outside because we had to carry our mattresses down an alley in Bessemer and put them in a, put them in a little storage room and around the side because we couldn't leave mattresses all in the chapel all day. So as I was carrying my mattress through there, uh, I, was, I started talking to somebody just like I would always talk to them. Cuss words flying everywhere and all this other stuff. And I tell you what, as soon as I started talking, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. Because I didn't know it at the time, but I'd been made new on the inside. I had no education about it. I didn't know. I had no idea what happened. I just know. I just knew this is weird. I feel bad for cussing. I think the last time I felt bad for cussing was when I was 12 years old and my mama whooped me for it. Right? That's what I was thinking at the time. Right? But something's different. So I had to go seek some counsel about it and find out what was going on. And they started telling me what was going on. And I started believing what they were telling me about what was going on. And I picked up this book and started reading it, started to believe what it said, started to seek the Lord with all my heart. And everything changed. Everything changed. I changed. I am not the same person that walked through the doors of the, of the Foundry Recovery Program in 2002. That, I'm not that guy. I am a completely different person than I was. I am not like a cleaned up version of that person. I can promise you. Because even a cleaned up version of that person is not a good person. Okay? And I'm not saying I'm good. What I'm saying is I'm different. I'm changed. I'm changed. And it's not because I'm special. And it's not because God specifically chose me and, and He doesn't choose most people, but, he, but I just got lucky and won the, won the Jesus lottery. No, it's not that. He wants the same for everybody. He wants the same for everybody. So if you're in this room and there's areas of your life you need to be made new in, I just want to encourage you. Cry out to the Lord. Seek His face. Get in this Word. Believe what it says. Confess it over your life. If you find yourself thinking something different than what this Word says about you, go back to the Word. Read the words of Jesus and convince yourself. Preach to yourself. Tell yourself that the words of the Lord Jesus are stronger than my words. They're stronger than, than my experiences in this life. And I'm going to believe God. And I'm not going to believe all that other stuff. Man, God's smarter than me. I, I used to have to tell myself this like every day. And I still do sometimes. God's smarter than me. i got to believe what He says and not what I'm thinking. I mean, He's the one that figured out that the trees needed to breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen. And I needed to breathe in oxygen and breathe out the carbon dioxide so that way we could both exist. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Okay? He's smart. 
He figured all this stuff out. Like everything he made has a purpose. Now, some things like yellow flies, I hadn't figured it out yet, but I'm sure there's a purpose, right? Everything he made has a purpose, right? And he's the one that orchestrated all of this. Like you can study science and you can doubt or you can study science and drop your jaw and say, God designed all of that. Wow. And that's, and, and that's the way I think. You know, if he's that smart and this word's true, that's the awesomest and scariest thing in the whole wide world, right? It's so awesome. It's so awesome. The love of Christ is real, and it, and it can completely change you. It can change your desires, and it can be the driving force behind your life. And I can tell you this. The purposes that God has for you, I can't, I can't sit here and I'm, I don't have the gift to sit here and go around and prophesy over each of you and tell each of you what your specific purpose is. But I can tell you this, your specific purpose and your best life will be found as the love of Christ compels you to move forward in life. That's where you'll find it. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're going, to find it, you're going to find God's will right in the middle of you allowing him to be the driving force of your life. And you'll find yourself with divine appointments. You'll find yourself in, in situations that you never thought that you could be in. And you'll find yourself performing at a level you never thought you could perform in those situations. You'll find yourself in the middle of a crisis being the voice of calm when maybe before you were the crisis. <laughs> and, but the Lord Jesus can can use you. He can change everything. But what we, we've just got to do our part. Submit to him. Submit to him and follow him and let his love compel us. Let his love be the driving force in our lives. In James, James writes, if we'll draw near to him, then he'll draw near to us. And so I just want to close with that. And I want to pray over you. And, uh, and I'll turn it over to Pastor Don, I guess, to close after I pray. But I just really want to pray over you tonight that we all would just Drop everything, if you will, and, and draw near to him. Because if we'll do that, if we'll take a step toward him, he'll take a step toward us. And that's really what the whole journey is. Every day, Lord, I'm taking a step toward you. And he says, I'm taking a step toward you, son. I'm taking a step toward you. I'm taking a step toward you. And we get closer and closer to him. And the closer we are to him, the more blessed we are. And, it, and, it, and we realize that it's not about things. It's not about being liked by everybody. It's not about being successful. It's about a relationship with him. And we find our place in this world. We find our place in God's family. And we find our place in the body of Christ through that. So Lord, we love you. Lord, we are grateful tonight for your mercy. We're grateful tonight for the truth of your word. And Lord God, we just... Stand on your word right now, Lord God, that you said that if we'll draw near to you, that you'll draw near to us. And right now, Lord God, we make a choice to draw near to you, Father God. A choice of our own free will. The same will we can use to sin, Lord, we choose to use that will that you've given us, Father God, to draw near to you right now, Lord God. Lord, to resist anything else, Lord God, but to draw near to you, Lord God. And we just pray right now over each and every person in this room, Lord God, that you would bless them with a desire, with a hunger and a thirst for you, Lord God. Lord God, and that they would strive toward you, Father God.
and that you would compel them, Father God, forward, Lord God, that you would move in their lives, Lord, that you would be that motivating force and that motivating factor behind their lives, always driving, Lord God. And we pray that for each and every person in this room, Lord. I lift up my brother or sister right now that's been struggling, Lord God, that's been having a hard time, Lord God, even, even just going on every day. Even just going on every day, just, just continuing to fight the good fight, Lord God. They've grown weary, Father God. And Lord God, I just pray for them right now, Lord God. I lift them up to you, Father God. And I just pray, Spirit of God, that you strengthen them to continue to fight. And I just speak to you right now, individual that's been struggling, that the Lord Jesus, he sees you. And if you'll just hang on just a little bit longer, your deliverer is coming. Your deliverer is on the way. Your deliverer is on the way. He's coming. You just got to keep on hanging in there. Just keep on hanging in there. Even if the only good thing you do all day is not give up, just keep on going. Because the Lord is coming. He's on His way. He sees you. And Lord, I love you tonight, Lord God. I thank you for, for your word tonight. We ask that you would compel us, Lord God. That you, would, that you would be the driving force in our lives, Lord God. And that you would transform us each and every day into your likeness more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.